The Ottawa Senators have made a lot of trades in the past few years, and their latest deal brought back an old face. That's not nearly as close to the kind of bombshell that we saw come out of Pittsburgh this week. Not only do they have a new general manager, they have a new president of hockey operations as well. And the guys who are filling these roles have been around the NHL for quite some time. Both have experienced success. Is marriage going to work? And is rebuild the only option for the Penguins moving forward? Episode 256 starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Lace Them Up podcast. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Before we uh, go into uh, the meat of our show, Brett, we have a trade to us between uh, my Ottawa Senators and the Carolina Hurricanes. Yes, we do. I actually, when you did the lead in, I was thinking, like, wait, are you just, like, are you making it seem like the Senators? Carolina trade is what we're going to talk about first. I mean, I mean, we they are. Brought, but... <laughs> they brought back a face that they traded a few years I know, ago. I know. That's kind of a big deal. No, no, I know, but, but it like a, it was a it was a failed attempt at a segue. No, no, I know. I just thought like because usually when you do those, I thought you meant like you usually just do like the main topic that we talk about and not like the thing that we're going to briefly mention. Yeah, so <laughs> I decided to mix it up a bit this time. <laughs> that's though. that's cool. It's fine. Um, <laughs> It just threw me off for a bit. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, so the, the Carolina Hurricanes acquire Cedric Paquette and Alex Galchenyuk uh, for Ryan Dezingle. Um, all three of what? well, actually, I guess Paquette and Galchenyuk were both Ottawa Senators for, like, literally, like, two games or something like that. Like, they were, because they were acquired on a trade... Um, in the off season, and then they um, were a part of the Ottawa Senators for a little bit, um, but um, so yeah, they go to Carolina. Um, also, Carolina puts uh, Galchenyuk on the waiver on waivers, oh. and um, I had kind of forgotten that. Um, well, first off, I have two thoughts on this, and. Because it's your team, you have probably more thoughts on this. Um, one, I had kind of forgotten that uh, Ryan Dezingle was on Carolina. Um, and I, I'm, I'm curious to see how he does back in Ottawa. Because that's when he was um, at its best. Like, he had a stint in Columbus. He had a stint in Carolina. Uh, but when he was truly um, what we thought he was at, at or what he was at his peak it was in um it was in Ottawa so I'm curious how he does there and um yeah it's interesting that you trade like two guys for one person who might not be as good anymore so um (laughs) although I guess Carolina does put Galchenyuk on the waivers so it's technically like a piquette for Ryan Dezingle type trade, which is interesting. Um, and then as my second thought is, as for Galchenyuk, um, I kind of had some hope that like maybe Galchenyuk would make some noise in Ottawa, kind of like what Duclair did last year for them. 
uh, where it's like he doesn't have as much stiff competition um, in Ottawa, so like he will get his chances and stuff. But when I was looking at it, it doesn't seem like he ever really did. Um, and, you know, Ottawa's probably just going for their younger players, which I guess is fine and makes sense. But I thought that they would try to, um, you know, make him into something. But, like, if he's not working in Ottawa, <laughs> the chances of him working in Carolina, which is a much better team, um, is not good. So I feel like... Um, I feel like Galchenyuk's career is pretty much over, um, especially now with the waiver, like him putting up, being put on waivers now, where it's like, oh, it, I, it looks like no one really wants him. Um, and this is like his 12th team or something like that. So, um, yeah, I, I feel bad for him, but um, I guess he might just be out of the league pretty soon. If he doesn't yeah, figure clarify, it out. Yeah, to clarify, this is his... Um, so he was drafted by Montreal, then he went to Arizona, Pitt, Minnesota, then ends up in Ottawa. Yeah. And now he's in Carolina. So this is stop number six for him. And, I mean, tech, he might be on waivers, so if someone claims him, which <laughs> odds are if no one will, uh, then that would be his ninth team, I guess. <laughs> That'll be that'll be in terms of teams calling uh, uh, calling him as property, right? Um, excluding games played, like he was on the roster for X amount of days. Uh, that'll be stop number seven um, if he gets claimed by somebody else, unless it's for a team that previously he played for. Right. Um, but yeah, uh, we'll we'll get to the hurricane stuff first because I've I want to get that out of the way before I talk about the send side sure. of things. The hurricanes are acquiring bottom six depth here at forward. Yep. And neither Galchenyuk or Paquette were as effective as some were hoping them to be in their short stints in Ottawa. Galchenyuk only played eight games, got a goal. It was a very nice goal, but he was a minus six. I I wish he kind of got more reps in Ottawa, but mm. the way the young guys are playing, um, kind of tough to really put some of the veterans in those positions there. And Paquette's a guy that can create his own energy on a team that has a lot of skill, um, he's in a similar situation that he was in Tampa Bay where they have all these skill forwards and then they have a couple of grinding forwards, for example, like uh, Jordan Martinuk, um, who, who does a lot of that aspect, not as much of the goal scoring, but he's more of the gritty bottom six forward. I feel like Paquette is one of those energy guys as well. So he adds a bit more variety to a part of Carolina's offense uh, that you don't see as much of, but it's still very crucial to forcing turnovers, which they usually do with their speed. Um, Galchenyuk, again, <laughs> like you have got Aho and Sveshnikov and Nita Ryder and Tara Vinen and Jordan Stahl, who quietly has put up pretty damn good numbers for the Hurricanes this year. I'm just looking at that and I'm thinking maybe they can find a spot for him, but we we've said that about a lot of other yeah. teams and it just hasn't happened. So you, you never know. It, it, this could be the end of the road for Getschanek. Who really knows? And he's not even 30 years old. Um, but I, I definitely think if you isolate him in, hopefully you would think that he's going to have some form of impact on the hurricanes. One of those, 
sneaky secret weapons that I think they were hoping uh, Brian Dezingle could become, and it, it just didn't happen. So we'll get to the Dezingle part now. Um, there have been 11 trades made since October 12, 2020. The Sens have been involved in six of those 11 deals. And uh, these two teams actually hooked up for a previous trade. Uh, Ottawa sending a young defenseman named Max Lajoie to the Hurricanes in exchange for a mostly AHL forward named Clark Bishop. And uh, that was uh, in January. Now, fast forward a month later, they make this deal. This is um, around um, these 11 deals. One of those deals, Ottawa gets Cedric Paquette and Braden Coburn for Tampa Bay so that um, basically Tampa Bay can get the Marion Gabrick and Anders Nielsen contracts from Ottawa, dump them on LTIR, and save a bunch of cap space. Right. Um, and two roster spots for the young guys, obviously. Um, Coburn was put on waivers by the Sens. Paquette is now traded. So basically, all that's left of that trade is Ryan Dezingle, who's a part of another trade tree that's completely separate from the Duclair swap. They still don't get much out of that, but now they have Dezingle. Um, he was offered a five-year deal a couple of years ago worth $5 million per year to stay in Ottawa. He did not take that deal. And looking at his production, kind of glad he didn't because he hasn't sadly done all that much since then. So maybe the hope is... Well, he left Ottawa and didn't do so well, similar to like Duchesne, similar to Eric Carlson. Maybe if we bring him back, he can revitalize the scoring touch that he had in 2018-19. And sure, he has Brady Kachuk still on the team. It's it's a type of move that can engage the fans. They're just like, hey, we 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 got a we got a familiar face back from the 2017 run. That's awesome. That's great. And and I and I feel like. For a team that has only two wins on the year, Pierre Dorian's like, gee, I got to do something. Right. Even if it's trading Paquette and Galchenyuk for Dezingle, I got to do something here. So we did. And maybe this is the type of thing that um, I, I don't think the Sens can turn their season around. I think they're well out of it, like yeah. we expected them to be. But maybe get a more respectable um, win loss record by the end of the year by making this trade maybe they get um some solid um second line third line scoring uh, out of the single and maybe they keep him around and if they don't they can flip him for a decent draft pick that they probably couldn't have done if they had held on to Paquette and Galchen here for longer um because one thing you should note is that Paquette and the single are all pending UFAs at the end of this deal so there's there's no guarantee that Dezingle's going to stay in Ottawa beyond this year. He could get flipped again. Who knows? Um, but I, I feel like it was better to do something than nothing at all if you're Pierre Dorian. This is a low-risk, high-reward situation for him, for the Sens. And for Ryan Dezingle, um, ho hopefully um, it, it works out for both sides. Um, and I think... Both sides had something to gain here by making this trade. Although, if um, if Galchenyuk doesn't turn into anything and uh, Dezingle refines his form, short short term, it Carolina doesn't care if they win the Stanley Cup or they go on a deep playoff run and Paquette plays a huge role. But it could turn into that Brazard Zabanajad situation where eh, I don't know. You probably could have used him down the road instead of that guy who was there for a year and a half. So. Uh, I guess I guess it depends on 
on how everything uh, shakes up, um, what kind of trade this turns into. But right now it's a 50-50, I'd say. Yeah, I, it's, I didn't really talk about the Paquette side of this trade either. Um, I think he's, he's usually just yeah. a fourth-line player and stuff. So, um, yep. And I also think, like, in terms of Galchenyuk and Paquette, um, mo- most likely if they do make it to the roster, they'll be fourth-line players. Um, maybe with, like, maybe some third-line stuff too, but um, it's just because, like, Carolina's more talented than Ottawa, um, and... They, uh, they don't, like, they have, like, there's no chance that Galchenyuk will be on the top line, for instance, even if he is somewhat, um, you know, bounce back, bounces back. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like um, they're trying to see if maybe there's something out of either one of them just so that, like, they can uh, get some grit or some you know, depth scoring with Galchenyuk. So, um, maybe it's, maybe it might work, but I'm not too optimistic about it considering that like, this is, as you mentioned, this is like Galchenyuk's seventh team. So, um, so yeah. Um, all right, let's get to the main topic that we're talking about today. Uh, the Penguins hire, have two hire Hires. They finally, um, they finally, uh, you know, after Jim Rutherford left two weeks ago, um, they finally figured out who they who's going to be their next GM and president of hockey operations. Um, although I guess this is a new position for them is the president of hockey operations. But uh, as for the GM, it's Ron Hextall. Um, of course, Ron Hextall was the GM for the Flyers for many years and also a Flyers goalie, but, you know, of course he doesn't, like, it's not like he's tied to uh, Philly, clearly, um, and he can play with the Penguins for sure. Um, you have here in the notes that uh, Ron Hextall's dad played for the, the Pens uh, before Mario Lemieux did, so that's... Yeah, this, this was in the 70s, so like we're yeah. talking long, long before um, they had Mario Lemieux, and that was in the early infancy of their franchise. It's yeah. not in the early 80s where they were particularly awful in the years leading up to the Mario Lemieux draft, yeah. but um, they were they were a, a team starting to find their rhythm, and, and Ron Hextall's dad, um, I believe Brian was his name, and is the type of guy that um, was trying to make the team better um, with no superstar. Yep. Right, of course. But uh, that doesn't happen until unless you do have a superstar, which they ended up having two of them. Or I guess three of them if you count Yager. Um, anyways, um, so then the Penguins also hire, which is the, even the bigger shock, is Brian Burke. Um, he was, uh, he was also, you know, Brian Burke has even a, a more historic resume. Um, he was the, uh, GM for the Whalers, the Canucks, the Ducks, the Leafs. Um, he was also the president of a hockey operations for the Cal- Calgary Flames. Um, he did win a Stanley Cup with the Ducks. Um, and, uh, so there's that, 
Um, and I guess he was also a part of Sportsnet for, uh, like, just this season, even. Um, so, I mean, apparently a lot of people actually, I mean, I obviously I haven't watched, but apparently people loved him on, um, on Sportsnet because he gave good analysis and was just, like, didn't really care who we offended, which is a good quality to have in, um, in like a broadcasting role. But, uh, so yeah, I feel he, like he was just about as blunt as Don Cherry, except yeah. he like didn't go over the edge. He wasn't offensive. Like Cherry yeah, yeah. sometimes did. So, so yeah, um, he's there. I found this interesting cause I found this, um, it was, it was a big shock that I thought like, Oh, Burke seems like he's just gonna, you know, he's probably just going to stay with this Sportsnet role, but apparently he was saying that um, he'd only, if if it was any other team, he wouldn't have accepted it, but um, the Penguins were the only team that he felt like he would do. But what I do find interesting is in 2020, um, last year, he was interviewed by uh, the Spitting Chicklets, um, and he said this, he had this to say about the Penguins. Um, I, I forget what month it was in 2020, but, um, I do have it here in this I th- article. I think, I, think. It, I think it was in November, oh, it's in like November. around the off season okay. or when the Penguins got knocked out uh, by okay. Montreal. It was in between there and, um, yeah. they, oh, they I'm about to read of, it here. They had a lot of tough decisions to make after a disappointing end to okay. the season. So, yeah. So yeah, so the, yeah, you're right. This is back in November. I, I'm reading, <laughs> rereading this article again. Um, it says here that uh, so this is all Brian Burke's quote. I'm directly quoting him here. Um, it is the same thing Jimmy Rutherford is saying in Pittsburgh. I've got two elite players. We're not going to a total rebuild. We're going to try and win. I don't think Pittsburgh is good enough to win. No matter what they do now with their cap situation, I think that window has closed. For me, I love Jim Ruth- Jimmy Rutherford, you know that, but I look in the East and I say, are they better than Tampa? No. Are they better than Washington? No. Are they better than Boston? No. Um, and so I find that kind of interesting in that might give us an insight into what they're planning here. Because um, I think they're not like... Yeah, I think that is kind of a fair assessment for them, uh, for the Penguins, is that they're, um, yes, they do have Crosby, they do have Malkin, but they're both, like, on the wrong side of 30, um, and that's pretty much all they have. They don't really have that much defense other than Chris Letang, who always gets injured. And I guess John Marino um, and Pierre... Olivier Joseph are up and coming players, but that's not, um, you know, they're more offensive defensemen than defensive defensemen. Um, and like, you know, they go out and get Michael Matheson, um, they get Cody Cece, um, and those aren't, or Marcus Pedersen's another one. Um, so those aren't necessarily helping them. And then their goal attending situation is, is like, Sure, Matt Murray is not not doing so well in Ottawa, um, but like Tristan Jari hasn't been that good either. Casey DeSmith hasn't been that good. Um, they they probably they did pick the wrong goalie in the Vegas expansion draft. They should have kept Mark Andre Fleury, but 
Um, but yeah, so they're kind of like, it's like, yeah, they have Crosby and Malkin and Chris Letang, but everything, and Jake Gensel, but everything else on this team is kind of like, who, what? Um, they could do so much better. So, um, so yeah, there are some interesting pieces for sure. Um, I do know that um, Ron Hextall is kind of known for drafting and scouting. He was a part of the LA Kings scouting department too. So, um, and even when he was the Flyers, um, the Flyers GM, he was like um, that was like a big part of Hextall's legacy was just drafting a bunch of these guys, especially in the later round. I think like. Travis Sanheim was one of them, or, I mean, I guess you don't have to, like, like, obviously, like, Travis Connecting is a big one, too, but, like, I was in the first round, um, but, um, yeah, he's kind of known as, like, the guy to, um, just his drafting credibility, and Brian Burke's more, like, the trading and signing key free agents, uh, that's more of his specialty, um, so, I am curious to know what what way they're going to go. I feel like it it's uh, because they don't have their first, their third, and their fourth, they can't exactly rebuild um, this year. Um, but I don't think they're going to make the playoffs because uh, they're still uh, floundering. Um, and the you know, like you know, Brian Burke is right. They're not better than Tampa, they're not better than Washington, and they're not better than Boston. And two of those three teams are in the division, are in their division right now. So, um, so yeah, I think they could, they do have some chance, I guess. They're in fifth in the division right now, but um, I feel like they're, they're kind of just in the middle this year, and they should just start focusing on um, on the future, but it's, um, but it's kind of tough because they don't have a first round pick. Um, so yeah, it's going to be an interesting combination of these two players or of these two guys. Um, and I'm curious, yeah, I don't know for sure what they're going to do, but I have my guesses and we'll get into that in a second. But first, what are your general thoughts on, on all this? So I'll circle back to Brian Burke's comments in a little bit because they're important. First of all, on top of not having a first, a third, a fourth, they also don't have a six and 21, although they do have three seventh round picks, feel is the equivalent to one sixth round pick. Right. So at least they have for them. They have a lot of seventh round picks they can dangle. Uh, now, going to the resume of Ron Hextall and Brian Burke. We'll start off with Ron Hextall because he's going to be the guy presumably calling the shots here. Um, he was uh, the Flyers GM from May 2014 to November 2018 when he got fired mid-season. And when you think of Ron Hextall, you think of him in a Philadelphia Flyers uniform. And when Jim Rutherford resigned, I said, if the Penguins want to really get spicy, Ron Hextall could be a suitable option to fill Jim Rutherford's shoes based on his drafting abilities. Rivalries aside, um, things didn't end well between him and Philadelphia. If the right opportunity presents itself, Ron Hextall isn't afraid to 
make a decision like, I don't know, working for the Flyers are tribal. Like, he's a guy that will take advantage of whatever opportunity he finds. Like, he, he, was, um, he was a member of the Islanders for a while. And oddly enough, four guys that used to play for the Islanders are currently GMs right now. Uh, Bill Guerin being one, um, Hextall being the other, yep. and uh, two others as well, but uh, their names escape me for the time being. Um, but uh, irregardless, um, Ron Hextall, you look at the current Flyers right now, he's responsible for a lot of that. Um, he drafted the following guys in the first round. Nolan Patrick, Ivan Provorov, Joel Faraby, Travis Sanheim, Travis Konechny, Morgan Frost. Second round draft picks, Isaac Ratcliffe, Nick Obey Kubel, Carter Hart, of course, being the most notable out of that bunch. Oh. In the fourth round, he selected Matthew better examples than I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, selected Matthew Strom in the fourth round. Maybe he turns into something. Who knows? Fifth round, Oster Lindblom, 138th draft year, which is pretty good. In terms of signings, let's take a look at the signings here. July 2015, his most expensive signing is Jake Voracek. Eight years, paying him $8.25 million per year. At for, for a bit, I thought it was honestly a bit of an overpayment. But it, it's aged fairly well. I'll, I'll give him credit. It's, it's aged fairly well. He's continued to be offensively consistent for the Flyers. Um, so I, I don't have too many issues with that. James Van Riemsdyk, July of 2018, for a while, this stunk big time. Five years, paying him $7 million per year. Fortunately, Van Riemsdyk has found his groove, but in the early stages of that contract, it was not looking good. Right. Um, so that could be a bit of a black eye on Hextall's uh, regime in Philly in terms of the signings. Braden Shen, July 2016, he gives him four years at a cap hit of $5.125 million. That's not bad. I, that's a respectable signing. Shane Goss despair. You can say what you will about Shane Goss despair, but this is still a pretty good cap hit. Six-year deal, four point three 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 million per year, uh, signed in June of 2017. Like, if he finds his offensive game, that's still a pretty good uh, cap hit for a contending team. If the Flyers don't want him anymore, and there are other like short-term signings, like Michael Neuvers, for example, Brian Elliott. Um, in terms of like depth signings, probably the most notable one is Ratko Gudis in June of 2016. Hextall signed him to a four-year deal worth 3.35 million per season. People hate playing against him. He did his job. He was the prototypical Flyers defenseman that everyone despised. So I I guess that's 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 a that's a passing grade for a signing there. Um, so in the signing department, Hextall did pretty well. In terms of trades, let's see how he did. Well, he acquired Peter Morazic, which didn't turn out to be a long-term uh, stay. He was only there for like half a season, and uh, then he went elsewhere. Um, but um, he acquired Morazic for a pair of conditional draft picks. That's not too bad. Um, then he dealt a second, a third, and a fourth round pick to the Arizona Coyotes, so he could trade up to draft Isaac Ratcliffe. Not bad. Uh, Braden Shen deal to St. Louis. Looks bad for Philly initially, and down the road, it still doesn't look good because Braden Shen won a Stanley Cup and is a key contributor to the Blues' top six. But 
the picks that Hextall got from that trade turned into Joel Fairby and Morgan Frost. So if those two guys hit, I'd say that's worth trading Braden Chen. And then he traded up in 2015. Uh, he trades a first and a second. That was Gabriel Carlson and Jeremy Bracco. He trades those to the Toronto Maple Leafs, and he uses that pick he traded up to get Travis Konechny in the draft, which is pretty good because Konechny's a huge piece of the Flyers right now. So overall, I think Ron Hextall did fairly well in Philadelphia. What kind of, and this this always stands out to me, what kind of ended his time was that he was too patient. There were calls for people, uh, fans mostly, uh, in Philly, and they can get pretty loud when their team's not doing well. The team wasn't doing well. They were on massive losing streaks, like eight, nine, ten game losing right. streaks. And Dave Hextall's the coach, and Ryan Hextall still staying loyal to his guy and ownership and, and Hextall towards the end didn't really see eye to eye and sacrificial lamb at the end of the day because he he was he was too patient he he's kind of and we'll get into this with Brian Burke later I feel like Ron Hextall isn't afraid to wait things out more Brian Burke is not afraid to make a bold yeah. trade even if it blows up in his face, he's not afraid to make a trade. So um, that brings us to Brian Burke now, who was uh, the president of Hockey Ops with the Calgary Flames for about four seasons. Then he stepped aside in 2018. So this isn't new to him. But as you mentioned, Brett, in his career, he's been the GM of four teams, the Whalers, the Canucks, the Ducks, and the Leafs. Also worked in the NHL for an office for a bit. Uh, won a Stanley Cup with Anaheim in 06-07, so he has something that Ron Hextall hasn't. As a player, as a GM, he's won a Stanley Cup, although it's the one Stanley Cup. You look at Brian Burke's drafting record, he drafted Ryan Kessler, he drafted the Sedin Twins, who they who he ended up uh, trading up um, to get. He drafted uh, Kevin Bieksa, RJ Umberger, and... A guy that's not a hockey player, but a popular Canadian country music star, Chad Brownlee. He drafted him uh, as the Vancouver Canuck. Then you look at Anaheim. He drafts Bobby Ryan second overall. That, by the way, first overall in that draft, 2005, was Sidney Crosby, which is part of the reason why Brian Burke took the job, because now he has Sidney Crosby. Right. Uh, but he also drafted Matt Bolesky, Eric Tangrady, Justin Schultz, who was with the Pens, and Jake Gardner. In Toronto, he drafts Morgan Riley, Nazem Kadri, Connor Brown, Garrett Sparks, and of names you've probably heard before in circles, Josh Levo, Jesse Blacker, Sam Carrick, Stuart Percy, and Tyler Bates. You go looking at the trades, and this is where it's either a massive hit or a massive miss. The FNUF trade with Calgary didn't age well over time for the Leafs. Neither did the Phil Kessel blockbuster and your Bruins have uh, reaped the rewards from that trade. But both deals at the time they were made were designed to create a buzz for a struggling Toronto franchise. And I would say it worked. Like there was a, a yeah, large somewhat. amount of buzz when they got enough when they got Kessel. So Burke did his job in that department. And also, um, and also Kessel and Phaneuf were like the two best players Mm -hmm. on those teams even though like those teams weren't that good yeah exactly 
Yep. They, in fact, they were they were awful. Exactly. The Bruins will tell you by drafting Tyler Sagan second overall and Dougie Hamilton ninth overall. And I mean, like I know this was unintentional, but in a way, because those teams sucked, they were able to draft Nylander, Matthews, and Marner, and of course now like those are the big. Uh, three players on on the Toronto team, and it also like intrigued John Tavares to to join um, Toronto uh, because of those three draft picks. So, in a way, it did work out, although it was unintentional on Brian Burke's part. I will say, and also Morgan Riley and Nassim Kadri. Yeah, that's another one too. Yeah, 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 of course. Um, and Morgan Riley being a big part of that Leafs blue line, in fact, probably the centerpiece of that. Um, yep. But there were trades that he did make that turned out well. Um, Luke Shen for James Van Riemsdyk, probably the best one-for-one trade you'll ever make. Uh, he also got Joffrey Lupel and Jake Gardner for Francois Boschman. That's a pretty good trade there. Uh, then you get to the suspect trade. Tyler Biggs, trading up to get Tyler Biggs. And you give the Anaheim Ducks picks that turn into Ricardo Kell and John Gibson. Yeah, that's not Probably going to use both. But exactly. Again, they have Riley, they have Kadri, they have all those superstars now. So, in a roundabout way, I guess Toronto uh, got what they wanted. But th- this is the interesting part of the dynamics, and we'll talk about the marriage of Hextel and Burke and whether or not it'll work. You got two different guys on opposite ends of the spectrum. You have Brian Burke, who's not afraid to make a trade, Hextel, who's more patient, who's into drafting and developing players right now the thing is brian burke's comments that you mentioned brett in november of 2020 he's not answering to anybody when he says that he is answering to somebody here he's answering to mario lemieux he's answering to dave morehouse the ceo of the penguins who said nothing's changed we're the pittsburgh penguins and we're here to win Right. So right now, they're not thinking rebuild. They're still trying to win now with the pieces that they have in place. But everything that Brian Burke said on November 2020, to me, is accurate. They're not as good as some of the teams that he mentioned there because of the aging core, because of their goaltending situation. Like when they were looking for a GM, I believe... Uh, rumors were they were trying to get Marc Andre Fleury back in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I so heard that too. Already looking at the goaltending situation, if that's accurate. So, I, I, I feel like something is gonna give where like, yeah, you want to win now, but we can't with this team, and you. Bottom line. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I guess. Um, I think, I mean, that's, that will take us to our, our question, list of questions that we have here. But for, first off, uh, you, you were talking for a, a bit there. So kudos to you for, for spewing all that out. I, although I know you have notes, so, uh, good, good on you for, for providing all that information. Um, yeah, I think it, it's going to be an interesting blend of these two, because as you're mentioning, you have Ron Hextall, who's like, this like scouting drafting savant of some sort and kind of got a raw deal at the end there. I kind of, when you were mentioning that, I was like, Oh, right. I forgot about that time. And we probably have to like look back cause it was around our time when lace them up was still around where we probably talked about it. Um, and yeah, I, I kind of do remember that it was like, you know, 
he does hire this Dave Hackstall guy who has, you know, a similar name to him. And, and you're thinking like, oh, like, it's not really all his fault. Because uh, the Flyers have been good even before that coaching hire. So it's a, it's a strange development from that point. So it's kind of like, did the GM really have to go? Or was it just a coaching change that was needed? So um, anyways, you have like that person. And then you have like this very like risk taker type, type of um, GM manager um, in, in Brian Burke who's like, you know, preaches about like toughness and grittiness and stuff. And um, I do remember uh, there was another quote that I saw of Brian Burke that he said that like the last three cup winners all um, won in with grit and a toughness. And the Penguins were the last Stanley Cup team to win with like speed and stuff. And that comment scares the living yeah. daylights out of me when you consider the truculent yeah. approach he made to Toronto that we all know did not work. Right, right. And and also, like, for, secondly, that's not really true. I mean, I guess you can make a case for St. Louis, but they still had a, a lot of fast and speedy guys there, too. But Tampa Bay is, like, the fastest team in the league. It's, yeah, they have Brady pointed to Keith yeah, yeah. and yeah, it's like a bunch of fourth-line goons. Right. It's like, yeah, I guess they did get Barclay Gutro and they did do that, but the Tampa would have won without those guys. I mean, I know, yeah. like, they, they do have a role in that team, and I'm not saying they weren't important, but, like, Kucherov, Stamkos, and Point are, like, the main players in that Anyways, we're, we're getting sidetracked, and, um, and also Washington, like, sure, you have Tom Wilson, but, like, Tom Wilson can score, and, like, Alex Ovechkin is on the team, too, so it's like, what what are you talking about, Brian Burke? <laughs> like, anyways, um, so, yeah, but, like, back to my original point that, like, you have this, like, patient, uh, like, we're drafting, we're going to focus on the draft, we're going to do this stuff um, in Hextall, and then you have Brian Burke, who's like, Let, we want to win right now, we want to do this. So it's it's going to be an interesting blend of these two, two kind of philosophies and stuff like that, where um, I'm going to be curious to see like what their first move is going to be, uh, which will get us into our first question we have here is, what will be the biggest change they are going to make. Um, and I think a lot of it is going to hinge on, like, their first move. Um, and, like, if they make a trade um, and they get some, like, I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think of, like, a good example of that. But if they make a tra- uh, trade that's, like, you know, that's for some, like, winger or a- another goalie maybe, um you know, then, then yeah, I think they are going to be a competition. They're going to be trying to contend and stuff. And, I mean, they're in fifth place right now, even though they're not playing as well as they should be. Um, and, you know, of course, they have Crosby and Malkin. They're not getting any younger. So, like, you should, like, when you have those two guys, you should be able to, to contend regardless of how well Evgeny Malkin is playing. So, 
Um, so you should be able to compete. Um, I, I don't think it's like a quick fix, but I think you could you could be a contender by the end of next year. Um, or like, you know, by the start of next year, I should say. Um, so I could see that, but yeah, I, I, but like, there's also like a chance that like, if they make a trade and they, they actually do trade Chris Letang, like was rumored (laughs) Rutherford was going to do, or if they trade, um, like Brian Rust, or if they trade, I'm trying to think of other players on this team. Um, yeah, like Jason Zucker, maybe, I don't know. Um, then, then maybe, yeah, you could, you could like, and like they get picks back or they get like, um, or prospects that, uh, that are much better than their farm team. Then you're thinking like, okay, they're just rebuilding here, but I don't think that's going to happen because, uh, Brian Burke is like this very impulsive guy and he wants to win now. Um, and, yeah, I don't think, like, they would hire Brian Burke if they didn't want to win now. Um, and so, so yeah, I, I know that <laughs> you were you were telling me about, like, through email that there was, like, some rumors, uh, according to Darren Drager, that Crosby was going to meet his Nova Scotia boy uh, friend with, um, in, uh, in Colorado, Nathan McKinnon. And there was like it would take a lot to get Crosby to Colorado. Um, it would be a huge move, but I don't think that's going to happen, especially with Mario Lemieux there, who's like best friends with Sidney Crosby. So I mean, like yeah. if you, if you <laughs> if if the Colorado Avalanche want to trade their firstborn child, five first round draft picks, right. to Bo and Byron, go right ahead. Then yeah, I guess you would and, you and would that's do an that. Exaggeration, <laughs> but like it, I'm just saying that is to say Colorado better be willing to pay up. If they want Crosby that bad, but that but that's not going to happen. So uh, no, we're we're, we're done talking about that. But uh, but yeah, I, I guess that would be like the biggest move if they were all of a sudden going to trade Sidney Crosby. But I think like the sign that they are they do have Brian Burke here just shows that they are in a win now mode. Like they are going to try to win. Um, in this, like, in this window, um, and, yeah, so, it's just a matter of, like, will these moves work? Yeah, so, the reason they have Brian Burke here, he is the expertise in the front office that Ron Hextall doesn't have, but Ron Hextall, I think, offers basically what Pittsburgh is looking for, drafting and developing players they have the wor- they have if they don't have the worst they're very very close with having the worst prospect pool in the entire league yeah. simply because yeah, they've traded away all their future assets right. like like they had for example the the best prospect that they had um or best prospects that they had were Kalen Addison and um what what, what was the guy Philip Hallander oh yeah and they traded Kalen Addison to Minnesota so they could get Jason Zucker. They traded Philip Hallander to Toronto so they could get Casper Kapanen. Yeah. So, like, both of those two guys aren't on the teams anymore. And, yeah, they drafted a young goalie named Joel Blomquist, but that was only just recently in the second round in the previous draft. So, I will like, say I will say on that note, yeah, they do have the weak prospect pool. I mean, a lot of that has to do with because they've been a contender for so long that they always get, like, 
late-round picks. Um, but the fact that, like, Sammy, Sammy Pauline um, could be something. Nathan Laguerre is also something intriguing. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that Casper Borkfist has, like, injury history, but he could be decent, too. So um, there's, like, there's a decent crop um, in Pittsburgh, but yeah, it's not Jonathan as... Jonathan Gruden as well, who they yeah. got in the Matt Murray deal. But yeah, it's not as... Not it's not as strong as all the other, uh, teams, um, yeah. for sure. Like, they have some, they have some good pieces that they could pop in their lineup, but it's not nearly as fast compared to the other yeah, yeah. teams, right? Yeah, That's of course. That's what I mean about, like, prospect pool, prospect. Depth. Right, 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 right. And Pierre Oliver Joseph, who they got in the Phil Kessel trade, is playing right now. Yeah. So, like, I wouldn't call him a prospect. And he looks, I would call him a current NHL player. Yeah, and he looks pretty good too. So uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's fair too. Um, and so in, and also like John Marino, I guess isn't really mm-hmm. a prospect, but he's a young player too. So um, he could be he could be good for them long term. But yes, anyways, sorry. Well as, a ma- well, as a matter of fact, like John Marino, and this is gonna segue into the question to the biggest change they're gonna make first. I've seen some of the ice time numbers for John Reno, and they've been kind of climbing this year. So, like, they're already starting to give him significant ice time. So, I think the first move they have to make, if they're going to move a big piece, is going to be Crystal Tang. Simply because he's injury-prone, but when he's on the ice and he's on his game, he is great for them. He can run the power play, but John Marino is the type of guy that I think could take over that uh, top power play spot if they trade Chris Letang. Both, by the way, um, are right-handed defensemen, so it's not like John Marino has to play on the other the other side, like he shoots the opposite direction. Right. It's not going to be that hard to slot him into that number one power play spot and move Chris Letang. Uh, Chris Letang right now, he has got two years left. He's going to be UFA after those two years, $7.25 million cap hit. Um, and he does have a no trade and a no move attached to it. But again, he's 33 years old. Someone like John Marino, he's 23. That's 10 years difference. Um, so if John Marino's able to carry that load, I'd be willing to move Chris Letang. The other thing to consider about when doing so is how it's going to react slash sit well with Crosby and Malkin. Because when we're talking about the core of this team, Latang is a part of that core. It's three guys. It's Crosby, it's Malkin, it's Latang. So you have Sidney Crosby on the final five years of his deal, which I believe includes this season. So you still have him for a fair bit. But Malkin's going to be UFA the same year as Latang. And whenever Crosby has been injured or he hasn't been putting up points, usually Evgeny Malkin, when he's had to step up, he has. He has that drive. He has that resiliency. For example, earlier this week, Penguins are trailing, I believe, as the Islanders. And less than 30 seconds left, boom, Malkin gets a big goal. He gets going. He gets the Penguins to overtime, and they win in a shootout. Malkin makes that happen. Malkin has that drive that Crosby has that I think if you want to win now with this core, you need you need possession drivers 
guys that can fuel the team, both with their compete level and their skill. Crosby and Malkin can both have that. And I think the most expendable out of those three is Latang for for those two reasons that I mentioned. And not saying that Latang can't be, you know, that can't can't be that kind of guy that that runs the team um, that can like make a big hit or change the outcome of a game. Not saying he can't do that anymore, but we we have seen time and time again Crosby and Malkin do that because they've just been such focal points of that team and it would be tough to lose either one of them. So if you need to recoup assets, I think Latang is probably the easiest player to move um, there because, it, it, yeah, I guess you talk about guys like Brian Rust, maybe Kasperi Kapanen too, and Jason Zucker. The thing is, those guys solidify the top six. Zucker could be a solid second-line presence with Malkin and Rust. Rust has insane chemistry with Evgeny Malkin, so to disrupt that I think would be a bit of a gamble as well. If you know you are probably heading in a position where you have to retool a little bit, then maybe guys like Zucker, maybe guys like Brian Rust are expendable at that point. I don't think they're expendable right now. Probably the first big name, if a big name does get moved, it's going to be Crystal Tank. Yeah, I I don't know. I feel like like it makes sense to have Chris Letang, but yeah, if they are going to go the rebuild route, then yes, it would make sense to do that. Um, but I don't know. I, I feel like it's not. It may not make the most sense just because um, if they are contending, just because he is their best defenseman by far. Um, so. So, yeah, I, I don't know if I necessarily see it. However, I will stipulate if they are rebuilding, then yes, they would probably do that. Um, okay. Uh, our next thing is, do we, I guess it's kind of, I guess all of these questions are related, but uh, do we think this pairing will work? Um, as I mentioned before, I kind of am interested in, like, this, like, patient versus, like, um, more, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? More, uh, uh, impulsive um, type of dilemma dynamic that's going on. Um, of course, the GM makes all the moves, so it is Hex- Ron Hextall's team in that sense, but, um, you know, Ron Hextall does have to, like, report to Brian Burke. He does have to report to Mario Lemieux. Um, so he has to report to all these play- people. So they all, all, all these, play- all these management people will have to um, get on the same page and stuff. So if Ron Hextall's like, well, we should probably wait it out. And then Ron uh, and then Brian Burke and Mario Lemieux are like, no, let's let's compete right now. Then they're competing right now. Um, and so I, I assume they're all on board for like, um, like trying to win now. Um, and, you know, they just have to like, get on board with that stuff. Um, and I think it could work. Um, like it's, it's hard to count out a team that has Crosby that has Malkin, even though Malkin might not be as good as he once was. Um, I think we're seeing the start of the end with him right now. Um, but, but yeah, I think it's, um, I think, I think they are going to start to like, I think it could work. 
Uh, they just have, it just depends. I would like to see a little bit more, because it's hard to tell at this moment for obvious reasons about like what they do, but it, it really does depend on, on all the like different trades and signings that they're going to make in the next couple of months. Yeah. So to the question of that, I'm just thinking what pairing do we know could work? Like, This is a very tough situation, no matter who gets this job. Like, I'm probably going to go on, like, a bit of, like, an offside tangent here. But I've been watching, like, a lot of Monopoly videos on YouTube. And you see people put up, like, hotels or whatever, banking banking on the fact that one of the competitors is going to land on your stuff. And they're going to have to pay up. And the Pittsburgh Penguins have been that type of team that for years has had hotels on their properties, banking on the fact that they're going to score big. And more often than not, they have done that because of the guys that they've accumulated. But of course, when you spend like money into like your assets, if you land on one of the other team's spots and you have to pay up, and you don't have the money, then you have to sell off some of the assets just to like stay alive, stay in contention. Unfortunately, it gets to the point where you don't have any more assets, and if you land on someone else's spot, you might have to declare bankruptcy. Right. And I'm not saying that Penguins are going to declare bankruptcy in this case, obviously, because they do have stable ownership, um, definitely more stable compared to previous ownerships. But you are at the point or you're going to enter the point of no return at some point where rebuild is the only option because you don't have any assets, i.e. young players slash draft picks to compensate for the fact that your team is starting to lose some of its luster. And all it takes is a playoff defeat or a missed playoff appearance here and there until you're just like, what more can we do with this core? We have to rebuild. So, that's what's going to make it very challenging for Hextall and Burke because, like we've mentioned, there are two different personalities, and you have to be on the same vision as ownership now. But whatever Hextall said to ownership, it blew them away. They were very, very impressed. They knew Hextall was their guy, that he was going to, in theory, um, give them what they wanted. Continue that window to win continue that um that window of success if you will so i don't know what that plan entails i guess we're gonna find out in the coming months what that plan entails um i i I think it's it's a wait and see approach because that division is if anything that division might force their hand because you have the islanders who are sneaky good you have the hurricanes that continue to get better, and I'm talking about after this year. Yeah, I was about to say, it's like, wait a second. Um, and we have, I guess, Columbus, they have Patrick Line, who, right. who has that lethal shot, so they're no slouch either. Um, you have a young Devils team to contend with. Um, the Caps are still relevant, and, you know, some could argue they could be in the same position as Pittsburgh in a couple of years. Um and and there are a lot of Philadelphia who has been manufactured by Ron Extall. They're probably the team on the rise to beat in that division. 
and the Rangers with all the studs they have, and and maybe I'm missing a few teams, but just looking at those teams right there, how does Pittsburgh hang with that bunch? Like we've already started to see signs in the past couple of years that this team isn't deep enough, doesn't have what it takes to go on deep playoff runs anymore. Like they had a very good team last year. They kept bounced by the worst seeded team in yeah. the play in four games. Doesn't even take the full five. They lose in four. And then the year before they make it to the playoffs, get swept by the Islanders in the first round. The year before that, they lose to Washington in the second round. This is everything since the 2017 championship. So nothing right there tells me, oh yeah, Pittsburgh is the biggest threat to deal with in the Eastern Conference. They're, they're not. And a lot of teams are ahead of them in the food chain. So it's going to be awfully tough for this pairing to really get results when they've inherited a pretty tough situation. Yeah, I yeah, I guess it's a good point just when you think of like the teams in their division right now and teams in their division uh, you know, in the coming years. Um, yeah, I think that's um yeah, it's it's a tough division, so you have to consider that for sure. Um so this last question is kind of, I mean, we kind of have talked about this throughout this entire episode. Um, so, but it's like a three part question here. Will the Pens rebuild or contend? What should they do? And will the Pens make the playoffs this year? Um, so I think the Pens will contend this year. Um, I think like just judging from what everyone, what both Hextall and Burke have said, uh, to the media and like, again, as I mentioned, when you have Crosby and Malkin, um, you know, you should, you should always compete. Um, it just makes sense and all that stuff. It's just everyone around them is, is the issue. So I think they will. Um, but what they should do is they should rebuild, um, because they don't have a strong farm team. They don't have many picks this year. Um, they they might be set up they might be better set up if they if they do rebuild um instead but um but yeah I, I don't think they're gonna do that um and then will the pens make the playoffs this year um I mean so it's not like they're the sabers or the the devils where they're like last in their division at this point so they are in fifth um place right now and it's not like it's not inconceivable that they could grab that fourth spot but if they do then they play like they're either gonna face boston philly or washington um maybe the islanders if you know if the islanders start to pick it up too but um but yeah so like you're dealing with those three teams and i don't think they're gonna uh, make it to the second round um, if they face any one of those teams. Um, so they will have to make a move in the coming weeks uh, before the trade deadline to to figure something out. But I do think they have a chance. I would give them like 70% chance that they'll make the playoffs. 
Did you, pre- uh, by the way, I'm just curious, did you predict they would make the playoffs this year? I think I did, yeah. Okay, I'm pretty sure I said they wouldn't make it. Yeah, yeah you did. Uh, I remember you, you said that, you, I think you said that you would get, you. I remember you didn't think the Bruins would make it, and you didn't think the Penguins would make it. Yep. Yeah, and you had the, the Rangers there, too. would definitely be on the fence of the four spot, but they definitely wouldn't win the division. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's looking like a botch prediction. Right, right, right. right. That's um, side the point. Anyways. Um, yeah, so will they rebuild or contend? I think this year they will contend. They will give it the old college try. They'll see what they have. If they make the playoffs, if they don't make the playoffs, I think they're going to do a minor retooling, which is trade one or two pieces, see if maybe, just maybe, they have enough gas in the tank for one more go. And they'll probably do that retooling for a year or two. And if they make the playoffs and if they lose in the first round, I think they do the same approach. If they make the final four, who really knows what they're going to do? I think a lengthy playoff run could change the direction of the Pittsburgh Penguins big time. It, it, it could definitely give them at least something to consider. Do we really want to do a retool or a rebuild right now after the progress our team has just made? So if they make, if they go on a deep run, I think it could change things. Um, but ultimately, I think by the end, uh, or sorry, not by the end of Crosby's contract, when Crosby is entering the final year of his current contract, so that's in like three to four years, I think the Pens are going to show signs that a rebuilding is imminent. So I definitely think before the end of Crosby's contract, they'll be in rebuild mode. Um, so yeah, um, it, it it'll be interesting. Will they make the playoffs this year? Uh, I say forty five percent chance. I still don't think the team as it is right now. I I don't think they have enough to slug it out even to make the playoffs because Washington, even without Samsonov, without Kuznetsov, without Verena, they've still been finding ways to get re- results. Yep. And they also have Chera. True. <laughs> um, Boston is not slowing down at all. And you have the Flyers, who theoretically would get better as well. And you know what? The, the Islanders the Islanders are right there. And if the Rangers get hot, they could be right there as well. It, it's Jersey just too, too many roadblocks for the Penguins to overcome. And I, I still I, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, but right now I just can't. Yeah, I guess that's the difference. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt that they'll figure it out, but maybe that's not the smart thing to do. Also, you mentioned Washington, um, Samsonov, and it looks like Veron- Samsonov like, returned to practice, although I don't think he's playing today. Um, mm-hmm. And Verona is back, so uh, so they have him in the lineup. But they're, <laughs> they're eventually going to get those two, two players back. Um, and, and when they do, they're going to yeah, be even tougher because now the rookie of the year or uh, the rookie of the month for January is backing them up instead of starting games, which yeah. I think is pretty impressive uh, if you're Washington. And yeah. like you think about the Pittsburgh Penguins, the first year they made it to the cup finals with Crosby was 08. Yep. That was 12 years ago. Like they've been threats for 12 years. Uh-huh. It's It's hard to believe. And they've been in the playoffs for pretty much – Every single one of those years, I 
at some point time catches up to you and I, I think it's about to catch up to them soon, which is why I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt because ev- every single contender is going to hit that point where the hands of time just say, your time's up. Yeah, it's possible. I, I, I don't know. I find it just hard to... I know that they have defensive issues. I know they have goaltending issues. It's just so tough for me to count out Sidney Crosby. Um, if they, just, if they I, make I, the I playoffs, if they make the playoffs, do not be surprised if a lot of the wins they get are one goal games. Yep. Like it's going to be that difficult. Yep. Um, so, uh, by the way, I looked back at my predictions. I had, this is the top four in the East division. I have, uh, mm-hmm. Philadelphia one, Washington two, I had Pittsburgh three, and then I had Boston four. So, um, so I had Pittsburgh doing better than Boston here, um, which I was, yeah, because I remember I was thinking like, I don't know if the Islanders are going to be as good as they were last year. So, um, and then I guess you had the Rangers, which I still wasn't com- completely convinced with. Um, and now that D'Angelo is gone, may- may- maybe that changes things. Yeah, yeah, knows. a little bit, yeah. Um, so, so that about does it with for us here. Um, at Lace Em Up. You can uh, listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify um, at Lace Em Up. Our, or, you know, subscribe to us, please. Um, our, our Facebook is Lace Em Up. Our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. That's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 257 of the Lace Em Up Podcast.